Good morning, church. I am uh, constantly overwhelmed with how excited I am to come and worship with the family. It's, it's so good to be with you guys, and, and we have this opportunity to worship and sing songs of praise, and we have opportunities to hear from God's Word. Both are worshipful, so I, I hope that you continue in this time as we've sang songs to God. Continue in that and, and let it be a, a worshipful experience as we look at His Word together. Uh, if you don't know, we have been going through a, a series about our core values. We're calling it We Are the Crossing, Gospel-Centered Missional Communities. And we've talked a lot about what it means to be gospel-centered in various forms. And this morning we're going to talk about what a gospel-centered community is. And I, I am excited about it because uh, about a month ago I preached a sermon about uh, gospel-centered ecclesiology, which is the structure of the church, elders, members, and how that works, how it's biblical. And then we just ended it. And it really naturally leads into gospel-centered community, and that's the heart of that message. And so I'm very excited this morning to look into that. And in fact, we're going to use that same passage in Ephesians 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. And we're going to walk through um, really the, the last two verses in that section and talk about what it means to be united in Christ, united around the gospel, for there to be community and for that community to be gospel-centered. All right, so let's go and verse 11, we'll start there. It says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to, teach, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're, we're after something. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. There's going to be unity, and it's going to be founded on Faith, belief, and knowledge, right, of what the Son of God, of Jesus, and to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the, to and fro, <laughs> to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. And so we look at this goal, this, this desire to be united in Christ, and we see already that there's going to be some things that come against that community, against that unity. And there's, these things are our enemies that would bring about this, this division by way of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so we've talked before about enemies and really, there's three big enemies, and they come in different ways. But first of all, it's us, the, the individual, the old you, the flesh, is at war. There's this battle you have inside of you, being led by the Spirit, being led by the flesh. And you're going to cause issues. I'm going to cause issues because of that old me. And this, this transformation, the sanctification is in process. And, the, and every individual of the church causes issues. It's kind of a joke among pastors. We say, man... Church would be easy if not for the people. And that's including us because we cause a lot of issues. So we're a problem. But because of the gospel, we're, we're being sanctified through that. And then also we have an enemy in the world that would really push the same things. That it's about you. That you are the most important thing. And individualize things in a way that separates. In a way that causes division and breaks this unity. And then, of course, we have Satan, the enemy. The one who's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to do that to the individual, and he wants to do that to the church because he hates you. 
and he's angry about it. And he wants nothing more than to see it destroyed. But thankfully, there is the gospel that that works against all of those things. And, And that, instead of being immature, instead of being like a child and being led astray, uh, by, by your naivety and, and doctrine and human cunning and craftiness. Instead of that, verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. That's the gospel. So we're shepherding one another in the gospel. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we're going to spend time breaking down those two verses and and really what it looks like. But we see this passage as a whole, both the leaders of the church and the people of the church working together to be ministers. And we see elsewhere the ministers of reconciliation or ambassadors for Christ, missionaries to the lost. Here the emphasis is on inward work, that we're ministers to one another, that we're caring and shepherding for one another so that we can grow with Christ as our head. So the implications of this are humongous. Like we we can't even wrap our minds around it. There's a unity there, first of all, that's unlike any other. We're going to talk about that. There's a unity there that's united on an infinite scale, unlike any other. But also it's it wraps around the world. Like we have brothers and sisters that are part of this body on the other side of the world. Centuries ago even. It's humongous. It's incredible what this implies for us. The bigness of it all is incredible. But we focus in on this local body. And we want to see what it means to be gospel-centered community with the crossing church. And so we're going to see that's necessary. But let's not forget about the big picture. Because if we make it about us, we'll very easily become idolatrous. We'll worship the crossing. We'll worship the leaders of the crossing. We'll worship ourselves and our methods and how we're doing things. And it's all about us. That's not the case. And it will never be the case. So we have to remember the bigness of it. That God's in control of all this. That He's orchestrated. It's His body. And we are members of that body and members of one another. And so let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at how It's a work done in a whole, the body, but there's a work done on the individual level. We read this passage last week when Scott preached. Uh, It's very much applicable today. We need to see what God has done from before the beginning of time. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10 says this. And He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, with which he forth or which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God has sovereignly planned this since before anything was. It was already a plan that we would be united as the body of Christ, with Christ as our head, adopted into this family as individuals, purchased by the blood of Christ. It was already the plan. It wasn't a backup plan. Jesus had to come and save the day and unite us again. It was already the plan. God knew we would go astray. God knew we would abandon our faith. And he sent Christ 
to unite us, to be our head, and we would be the body. And, it, and what we're united around is something incredibly significant, the gospel. So we call it gospel-centered missional community, gospel-centered community. And this is the difference than, than any other bond. Because there's a lot of bonds. Human beings bond over things. You guys know this. So let's consider some other things we bond in. One thing, just thinking through this, one thing I think of first is sports, right? Athletic teams. So in Monroe, there's not a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans, but when I see them, automatically, how about the Cowboys? And their response, depending on how the season's going, is either, how about them? Or, yeah, we'll see, we'll see, <laughs> which is most common. And, and no matter, like, I'm not going to trust them with my kid, but I trust them on some level. There's immediately this connection. So whatever it is for you, if it's, if you are a New Orleans fan and you're in Atlanta, Georgia, and you see another New Orleans fan, there's going to be this, yes, I'm not alone feeling. You know what I'm saying? Or LSU fan in Alabama, whatever the case, sports is certainly something we bond over. Another, just to include the non-sports fans, another is uh, your hometown or your high school. The Boss City Boys, where's Brendan? We stick together, man. So Brendan, when, he, when I first met him and I knew he went to airline, there was already this connection I had with him even though I didn't know him from anybody else. The only connection we had at the time was Airline High School, and there was this immediate connection. My sister's here, also Airline, represent. We, we feel that, and, and Monroe and West Monroe is no different. If you went to West Monroe High School, unless you're a rebel, which there are some hipsters who don't want to talk about it, you know who you are. I'm not going to point you out. But there are some people who will... Like, end relationships based on, oh, you're a West Monroe fan? I didn't know that, so it's over with. It's ridiculous, but there's these connections we make. It could be that. It could be your style or, or how you wear your hair or, or whether you wear skinny jeans or not or what music you listen to or what TV show you watch. There's all these different things that seem to connect us in these mysterious ways because we're built to connect. God designed it that way. We're supposed to be in community. And so we seek, just like we seek stuff in the world all the time, we seek community in worldly things. And we find it often. It's weak sometimes. They're weak connections. Like my favorite color is blue. Who likes blue? Look at us. He kind of likes it. We're kind of friends. Oh, representing the blue today. I wear blue almost every Cowboys day. I mean, Sunday. I'm just kidding. That's blasphemy. All right. I do not worship the Cowboys, even if it seems like it. And I repent when I feel like I am. All right. So it's a weird thing that we connect over these weird things. But sometimes that connection is a little stronger. For example, um, sports teams, like if you're on a sports team, not if you're a fan of one, even though some fans think they're on the team, you're not. Seattle fans. We're the 12th man. All right. So some, if you're on a sports team, if you've ever been on a sports team, whatever the sport was, I'll even count cheerleading and dance. If you've been on a sports team, you feel this connection that's different than if your favorite color is blue. It's this connection that, hey, we're after something. We're going to this championship. We all want this common goal. There's this stronger connection. And then there's ups and there's downs. There's losses and you mourn together. And there's wins and you celebrate together. There's a strong bond between sports team members. And, and there's this, 
there's even this uh, sense of we're doing life together because we have this focus. We travel together. We, we go places. We meet people. We're us. They're them. And there's this feeling of belonging to your team. So if you've been on a team before, you know that feeling. Another example that's completely different is road trips, especially road trips to like a, a short-term mission. There's this focus, even if it's Disney World, we're going to Disney World together. That's the goal. We're celebrating that together. But then there's this time you spend in the car where, where you're exposed to some things that just hanging out, eating lunch together, you don't always see that kind of stuff. Some attitude comes out. People are a little more sinful. They can't hide it. The mask comes off a little bit. So there's this vulnerability that's inevitable both in sports teams and in road trips that's a tighter bond. You guys know what I'm talking about? So I've been on mission trips with people, and that's the only thing we have in common. Like I went on a trip with you to to work in Atlanta at some old rundown church. It's the only thing I've ever done with these people. And even today, this was like in college, so even today I feel this connection. Specifically, I think this guy named Zach, who he lives in South Louisiana now, and we communicate sometimes on Facebook, and there's just this brotherhood there. And I, I don't know this guy other than the trip we took together. And so I know that you guys have experienced similar things, even if you don't want to shake your head. Yeah, me too. Yes. So, so these bonds, these connections, they're weird if you step back and look at them. Why do I feel that connection? But when you consider the gospel, we've been created to feel this. Somewhere there was a breakdown, there was a fall in our sin, and it's flawed now, so we have trust issues, and we have, I like you sometimes, I don't like you other times, and oh my goodness, get me out of this car, I can't be in this car with this person anymore, moments, experienced that with Scott and Jared a couple weeks ago, I just want to get home, away from these guys, Jared noticed, he was like, so I'm learning something about you, Kendrick, your introvert is coming out and hating people, put him away, all right don't have control over it, just shut up. And there's some delirious things that happens too that we just start laughing and can't stop. Anyway, we, we all share these experiences and I think several things in common here. First of all, the common goal, the purpose together, the mission together, whether, whether championship or Disney World or, or doing life together. Uh, and that's the second thing. So the, the common goal, the actually doing life together, experiencing each other, seeing the ups and the downs, the flaws, uh, and knowing that there's sin in that life, and knowing there's need for repentance, sharing in the the sadness, sharing in the joys, and then this inevitable vulnerability. All of those things connect us in a in a more more committed way. But something that all of that's missing is Jesus. A, a great example of how Jesus is is far greater uh, is a show that Amelia and I are watching right now called uh, Worst Cooks in America. Anybody? It's a good show. You should watch it. It's pretty fun. I'm amazed at some of the basic cooking things people don't know. Uh, and even like non-cooking things, you should just know what a spatula is and things like that. Anyway, I guess that's cooking. There are things, okay? I didn't write them down, so I don't know. Anyway, this show is basically a culinary boot camp. So these they bring in these horrible cooks, whether they were nominated by their spouse or they volunteered themselves. They come in and they divide it into two teams, red team, blue team. Blue team represent Bobby Flay teaches one team and then Chef Ann, a lady I don't know, but she's a culinary teacher at a school somewhere or something like that. They have these teams and they're teaching them to cook. It's pretty interesting and it's fun to watch because they're bad at it, but then they start to get good at it. But what's 
What's most interesting to me is not the skills they're developing, but the sense of unity that they have. Because they're living in the same house, and then they go and they cook. So when people are really bad, and they have competition, the whole show's a competition, and they lose, they go home. They're playing for money. So there's, a, there's something on the line here, not just learning skills. They're playing for money. But when people go home, there's this group sadness. In fact, it was so, it was so uh, significant that I actually paused the show and... Talked about it with Amelia. She was not interested. <laughs> I was like, look how sad they are. This is a competition. They're playing for money. Look how sad they are that their competition got cut. And in that moment, you realize there's, there's community there. They, they share a bond in their vulnerability because they're horrible cooks. But they also have been doing life together. And they're learning and growing together. It's cool that we're seeing this. And there's, there's gospel picture all over it, but it's completely Christless. The same thing happens if you've ever watched the show Biggest Loser. The same thing. I, and there's some goodness to that. Like, I've cried watching The Biggest Loser before. I'm okay to admit that in front of my family. And you guys are laughing at me, so... Never be vulnerable again. I'm just kidding. So, shows like that, they're, they're good, right? Because they show this example of something that's good. There's a closeness. There's strong bonds. There's emotion involved. It's, it's good TV. We want to watch it. But it's totally Christless. There's no Jesus. So what we would share is infinitely better. Because though they would don't want to see their teammate go home, there's no way they would take their teammate's place. There's no way they're going to say, I'll go home instead. Right? But with Christ, we see that example in Jesus. That we would love each other in a way that we'd lay down our lives for each other. And be serious about that. This bond we share is deeper than I think we realize. This connection we have joined together in a way that goes beyond us into eternity. We will be brothers and sisters worshiping this God forever. We have a purpose and a mission to enjoy God forever as family. That's so much deeper than a road trip. It's so much deeper than a championship game. It's so much deeper than a TV show. There's a unity we share that goes beyond any other unity. And it's not just eternal, but it's, it's magnificently exponential in every single way imaginable. Because Jesus is big in every single way imaginable. And he is the head of this body. And we worship him because of it. And so... Sorry, that went way too long, but I really want you to see the separation, the distinctions here. And, and let's go back to verse 15. It says, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So there's this gospel-centered community that's not primarily founded on commonality, but a unity that goes beyond that into Christ being the head of this body. And it's not so much what we have in common because we all, we all know of churches and organizations that have commonality but no community. In fact, the commonalities can become idols. What kind of music do you have? How do you have to dress? Do you have pews and hymnals? What do the decoration looks like? Do you guys dance around in the back and speak in tongues? Because we're not okay with that. It makes me uncomfortable. We have these commonalities that aren't necessarily biblical and then we make them idols. If it's not about Jesus, then it's not about Jesus. And it's not church. 
We're the church that worships Jesus, our head. We're the body. Everything flows from Christ. And yes, there's structure. And we talk about that. There's necessary structure. There's necessary things. But we will not worship those secondary things as idols. There's some things that are primary. And those, those are our core beliefs. Look at the website. You can't take those out. If you take those out, we're not Christians. But these core values are values to the crossing church. We're not going to impose them on others. We see them biblical. We think they have ground biblically. That's why we hold them as truth. But we're not going to impose them because they become idols when we do that. We can't worship our idols. Though we very much believe we should, we should invest ourselves in these core values and we should go all out for them. We need to see first and foremost we're Christians united in Christ. Pastor and author Timothy Keller says it like this. The relationship between two Christians outweighs any other relationship you have on the basis of your race, on the basis of your gender, or on the basis of your social status. You are a Christian first, you are white second. You are a Christian first, you are black second. You're a Christian first, you're wealthy or poor second. You're a Christian first, you're an American second. Do you see what I'm saying? Community can only be based on the presence of God. Our community is not based on what we have in common. In fact, diversity within the unity is a good thing. We should seek diversity. Because if we all the same body part, we're not doing anything. If we all look the same, we're not looking like the body of Christ. We need to seek diversity, but see that we're united in Christ. I want to look at Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read through a good chunk of it, 1 through 13, and I don't want it to become a, um, a sermon on its own, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking it down. But I want you to see this beautiful picture of the body of Christ with, with diversity and, and totally united in Christ alone. And so we know Romans, uh, the book of Romans to be written to the church in Rome by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to what we see most clearly throughout history as what a missional community is. And so there's these house churches within the city, and he's writing this letter to go among the house churches, and he's explaining, uh, though after explaining much, many, many other things, this is chapter 12, he's explaining what the church should look like with individuals making up a body. And so let's look at it. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts from differ, uh, that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That passage has been a favorite of mine since the first time I read it because it so beautifully illustrates this coming together of individuals who have seen the glory of God and have sacrificed themselves in order to be with this body, to be on mission with God. So within it, we see there's this clarity. We see there's clearly diversity. No doubt there's diversity, but in a way that unites and does not divide. We see that there's family based not on on how well you perform, on what you do, but on who you are. And when you see who you are, you do it well. And there's this outdoing one another and showing honor to each other and in a way that is not self-promoting or the sense of entitlement. I deserve this. It should be about me in any way. Instead, it's complete sacrifice to love one another within the body. And together, not separate, but together, having their own separate strengths, we see that they are faithful. They are knowledgeable. They are encouraging, generous, zealous, merciful, joyfully hopeful, patiently trusting God even when things are hard, constantly praying with dependence on the Spirit and with their gifts and their resources, they're at work to care for those in need and show hospitality. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. This is what we're after in the crossing. This is what we're after with every missional community the crossing will ever see. That we could so love each other that every individual would lay down their life for one another. That we would see this family goes deeper than blood. This family goes deeper than than a temporary amount of time on this earth. This family goes beyond it and we should be eager to see this family grow. Not by church swapping, not by gaining other members from other churches, but from seeing the lost saved, to know this God, to join this family, to bring the gifts and abilities God's already blessed them with into this family, to share it together, to grow together in unity with Christ as our head and in love. It's wonderful. Nobody would say that sounds bad. I don't want to be a part of that. The most pagan person alive would say, I want family like that. But it's hard. It's impossible without Jesus. You'll always be selfish without Jesus. But even having been saved, there's this sanctification that goes on. There's this enemy within us. There's this enemy in the world. And there's this enemy in the air that's after division. And that's why it's so hard. So we look at missional community and we're like, that sounds good. But we don't actually want to put in the effort to fight our selfishness. We don't actually want to put in the effort to say, no, Satan, that's a lie. We'd rather... We'd rather believe the lie because it feels more right. It doesn't feel right to be self-sacrificial. It doesn't feel right to go meet with your DNA when there's other things that need to be done. It doesn't feel right to join your missional community for dinner when you need to sleep or do homework or whatever the excuse is because we're lying to ourselves. This will say right now, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, it's so clearly biblical, I want that. But when it comes time to sacrifice, it's hard. I'm with you in that. I'm not thinking of anybody in here. I'm thinking of me. There are times I just don't want to do it because it's hard. It's totally sinful and it's leading to the division of our church. We've got to kill the sin. We have to be 
we have to put all of our energy into seeking God, though he is at work drawing us to himself. And when we experience it, we'll experience what is not sacrificial at all. There will be joys in this. And even when it's hard, God gives us patience. Even when it's hard, we love and we fight for what we know is right. And so we have to recognize this unity is definitely worth it. And we have been united and we fight we fight against this, everything that would draw us apart. But with the same perfect attention, this is, this is beautiful, okay? The same perfect attention to detail that God had when he knit you together in your mother's womb and put the human body together to function with all of its systems and all of its part, with the head sending signal to the body to do what the body needs to do. With that same attention to detail, God knit together us, his body. With Christ as our head. It's wonderful. That God planned it. That we would work together. Take the analogy as far as you want. What good would your body do without its head? What good would your body be with several pieces missing? How well would you see without eyes? How well could you hear without ears? Because of sin in the world, we see there's people who suffer life blind and deaf. And we know it's more difficult. But God has put us together with all our gifts, all our abilities to be his body with Christ, our head and our systems. He's sending signals that we would know what to do as the body. It's wonderful when it functions like it's supposed to function. And we've laid this out on our website. Uh, If you go to the core values and and you see under uh, gospel centered community, we've laid out. It's long. I'm going to read it, though. And it's on the screen uh, what it looks like. To be this family. Or what we see it looks like. Tim Chester uh, says, We need to shift our focus from putting on attractional events to creating attractional communities. I've read Tim Chester, so I understand what he's saying here. It's not saying we need to not do, we're not, not, don't try on Sunday mornings. Forget about the event. He's saying we need to really emphasize it's about community, and that's what we're doing. So Sunday event... Typically, the Sunday worship is what it's about. People call it church because that's what it's about. And everything else is supplemental. You have small group tacked onto it to discuss the Sunday morning. And you could, some of them meet in homes even. So they call it life group or whatever they call it. And it's supplemental to the Sunday morning. We're not saying you can't do that. There's plenty of people who are doing that. It's going well. We're saying that's not us. Missional community is the heart of who we are. We're structured around the missional community. And Sunday morning is an overflow of what God has done all week long as we're doing life together, as we're on mission together. We join together as family to worship God. That's different. If you don't see it as different, you're you're not seeing it right. We have to unlearn old patterns and see this is what Scripture calls us to. So this is what we see as a missional community. We believe the the most irreducible and effective structure for making disciples as the church is a missional community seeking to see gospel saturation in all areas of life. This is smaller this is a smaller group of people who gather regularly and, and engage in everyday life on mission throughout the week with a commitment to reaching a particular people and place together with the goal of making disciples and multiplying and sending out more missional communities. There needs to be some commas in there. I need to, to breathe. We believe the church is the family of God sent by the Spirit to make disciples of Jesus to all nations throughout the world. We are saved by God's power 
for, the glory, for God's purpose to bring Him glory in all things, whether or wherever we are. The church is always being sent by God to accomplish His mission. Disciples make disciples. Missional communities send out missional communities. And churches plant churches for the glory of God. So what does it look like to be missionaries? We take time to recognize the natural rhythms of our culture and live in them having experienced gospel change. So for us, they're gospel rhythms. And we call them story formed, listen, bless, recreate, eat, and celebrate. We've talked before about what those are. We'll talk again in the future about what they are. For now, I'm going to move on. The mission is not an addition to an already busy life. That's crucial. It's not an addition to your already busy life. If you see it that way, you'll be overwhelmed by it. Instead, the mission of the gospel is the primary focus of our life. The gospel has liberated us to live a life of mission in all things. With gospel fluency, that is, you see through gospel lens, you hear through gospel filters, you speak with gospel truth. With gospel fluency, we look at the world and see every moment of every day as an opportunity to be on mission. We live as a family of servant missionaries in the normal rhythms of everyday life. So that's how we define it in its width, all right? And in its depth. And it all sounds great, and there's enemies that fight against it. And though we desire family, we don't naturally want to do the hard things necessary to be family and to reap the benefits of family. And so we like the benefits, but we have to weigh that out with the sacrifice it takes to reap the benefits. And then ultimately, and in eternity, the sacrifice is nothing. Paul says it's, it's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. And so we have to keep that perspective right. And how do we do that? Well, we do that through covenant. Now, covenant is something that sometimes can sound like, I don't know what that word means. Is it commitment? Is it a contract? Uh, but a covenant is very much a beautiful marriage between this law and this love. And so it's founded on love. God made a covenant with his people because he loved them. We don't have time to go from old covenant to new covenant and explain all that Christ fulfilled. But we need to see a good picture of how love is the foundation of it. Uh, because of verses like Romans 15.1. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So if this comes easy to you, if you love missional community and you want to sacrifice, you're not off the hook. You have to help those who struggle and you have to fight with those who struggle. And how are you going to do that? Well, you're covenanted to do that. You're, you're, you love, and that's how this commitment is held up. The key to the commitment is love. So go, go with me if you want to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, if not, we'll, it'll be on the screen. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it, so keep turning there if you want. But uh, It's kind of chopped up. I'm going to read verses 18 through 20 and 26 through 27, and then verse 30. You can read the whole thing if you want. I'll kind of explain what's happening, uh, but there's a point to it. So, It says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he goes on and he explains the gifts of the leadership. He explains some miraculous abilities. Uh, and then he asks a rhetorical question. Do all possess these gifts? No, they don't. But, verse 30, earnestly desire the higher gifts. 
And then tacked onto the end of this, if you're looking at it in your Bible, it's probably its own line. It says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And I will show you a more excellent way. And it's an introduction to this next chapter. And if you know 1 Corinthians 13, you know that it is known wide and far by by many believers as the chapter of love. Use it in weddings, wherever. It's the chapter that most clearly defines love in Scripture. And Paul's introducing it, following what he's calling the church to be, the body. He introduces it with, I'll show you a better way. If we just put our effort into being the body and see, I'll play my role, you play your role. What's your problem? Play your your role. What's wrong with you? If we see it like that, we're not going to help each other out. We're not going to lean on each other. We're not going to carry each other's burdens. We're not going to go out of our way to go after the sheep that's gone astray. We're not going to shepherd one another with the gospel because there's no love founding it. It's not covenant. It's contractual. You play your part, I play my part. If you don't, then you're out, whatever. That's not covenant. Covenant is no matter what, I'm coming after you. And I expect the same from you. But the problem is, because we're sinners, we've all failed at this. It's hopeless now. God made a covenant, it was broken with Adam and Eve. God made a covenant with Abraham, it was broken by the Israelites. And God has said, see, you fail. See, the law I've given you, you can't do it. The purpose of all of that was to lead to Jesus. That's the gospel. That we fail to hold up our end of the covenant. And Christ has come and he's accomplished everything we failed. It's, that's the gospel. And it has purpose to enjoy God forever. And so remember Romans 12, verse, verse 9. That it, this beginning of, we read it earlier, this beginning of the imperatives that Paul's given out. He says, let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Before he goes into pray together, before he goes into bear with one another, before he goes into show hospitality, it's let love be genuine. And so it was like 40 minutes ago, but Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How will we grow? With Christ as our head, absolutely. United in Christ seeing what a missional community is, but it's built itself up in love. This love is crucial to community. Without love, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, we're nothing. It's pointless without love. And how do we know love? We know love because God first loved us. How do we know love? Because Christ demonstrated it perfectly and laid down His life for us. How will we love each other as brothers and sisters? As Christ loved us, as God has loved us. And there's a unity there that's necessary. We need each other. It's not, you can do church on your own. You can't. You will not survive as an individual. If you're thinking that way, you may not understand the gospel. If you think you can just do it on your own, you don't see the value of the community. And you may not fully understand the gospel. The wisest man to live, Solomon, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes to this group of people, teaching them many things Some of it sounds depressing, but he gets to good parts every once in a while. And a part that's pretty well known, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, he says, Two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. 
For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has, no, he has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so sometimes this is taken out of context, but, but I think what he's saying most clearly is two is better than one. And then he says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That means two is better than one. And look, three is even better. The more the merrier. Bring it in, church. Come together with all your gifts, all your skills, all your abilities. With Christ as our head and we will be a bond that is unbreakable. That is what we want to see happen. But this covenant, the love is nothing without Christ as our head. So I want to end with this thought of Christ redeeming us. Galatians 3, it's not on a slide because I'm paraphrasing it, but Galatians 3, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to us through (coughs) Jesus Christ. And again in Romans 4, he writes, this is how God can be, again paraphrase, this is how God can be both just and and gracious through Christ. So are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? Trick question, yes. The conditions have been completely missed by the people, so Christ took care of it. With His perfect life, Jesus completely fulfilled the terms of the covenant, and He earned the blessing. But with the sacrificial death, he completely fulfilled the curse of the covenant so that God would unconditionally bless us. He took on the perfect life to earn the blessing that we couldn't, fulfilling that that end of the covenant. And then because he's God, only he could take on the curse, what we deserved and would take eternity to, to be punished for. He took on the curse So that we could in turn get the blessing. So through Christ, we are blessed beyond anything. And and back again to, to what we saw in Romans. It's only by the mercy of God. It's only by the mercy of God that we would do anything. And it's only by the grace of God that we would be gifted with anything. And so we come together to celebrate God. And he's given us plenty of examples of it. So we call it family. God has given us a picture of what family is. Jesus is the Son of God. God, the Father, is the Father of us all. Now, now Jesus wasn't, wasn't created as the Son. He was begotten as the Son, so He's always been God. In fact, you can't have Father God unless there's a Son in eternity. Does make sense? You can't have an eternal Father if there's not an eternal Son. So that kind of, even the language is messed up. But God gave us the Son so we could see this relationship And God has also given us relationship with one another. You have literal brothers and sisters that you feel tight with, right? There's connections there. You have husband and wives and and parents to children. There's connections there. And so we see pictures of it, but we know that there's something much deeper in Christ. We know something has eternal depth and infinite depth with Christ. And so I want to, as as a closing illustration, I want you to see um, how how I visualize Christ's longing for us and how I am able to connect with Jesus and see his love, glimpses of it, on a deeper level. So some memories we have, at least for me, are kind of, some of them are fuzzy. 
I remember it happening, but it's like, I don't know if that actually happened. And I've told the story a lot of times, and so the way I tell the story, this is what happened. I'm not even sure if that's actually what happened. You guys have those, or is that just me? Okay, good. Well, there's some things in my memory that are so clear. I know this is exactly what happened, and it stands out uh, above anything else. So I was married four and a half years ago, and in fact, yesterday was the, the fifth year anniversary of when I proposed to Amelia. Long time. Some of you are like, that's nothing. Uh, so my wedding day is mostly a blur. And so I usually tell when I'm working with grooms, grooms-to-be, I'll tell them, you're going to forget most of this. But take moments, take time to take breaths and remember certain things. So no one told me that, but I remember clearly two things on my wedding day. I remember most of it like a blur, like it just kind of happened. I can kind of tell you some people that were there, especially if they signed the little guest thing. Uh, but there are two things that happened that I remember clearly. One was when my groomsmen and, and the ushers circled around me before we went out and that we prayed together and it was so good. That moment was so good. But I remember it not because it was so good. I remember it because terror came over me. Like, this is real. This is happening. And I, my hands were getting sweaty and, and my mouth was getting dry. And I was like, okay, so I'm getting married. And it just got real. And so we walked out. We got married outside. We walk outside and we go. And I stand up there waiting on Amelia. She's in this little building all the way down this aisle. And then the aisle ends and then there's like it feels like a football field of, and then the door that she's inside of. So staring at this door in the distance and, and the moment that door opened, I'm up there sweating, mouth dry. Oh my gosh, hey, this is happening. The moment, the moment that door opened is the second thing I remember clearly. Our eyes locked the biggest smile to this day that I've ever seen her have because she, she wanted to be mine. And she walked, so come on, get it together. <laughs> she walked down that aisle, and all the way she stared at me. Nothing else mattered to her. She, she wanted to be mine. She came all the way down. In fact, when she got there, I was like, is it okay if I hug her right now? I know the kiss is later, but can we just hug? And I hugged her, and it was weird for everybody else. We're like, what's he doing? Anyway, I just wanted her to be mine. She wanted to be mine, and everything that was there was a worry or concern in my head before, all the, the fear, the doubt, is this right? All of that gone. Like I just knew, this is, this is my bride. This is mine. I want her. She wants me. It was wonderful. And that moment, though it was so sweet and it's so vividly a memory, is such a, a faded shadow in comparison to Christ longing for his bride. To come home to him. God loves us way more than I can even imagine. The most, one of the most significant moments in my life, seeing my bride come to me, pales in comparison to the infinite, unadulterated love that Christ has for his bride, the church, the body that we are. And if that doesn't motivate you to want everybody you know to be a part of this, then you're missing it. You need to get saved today. You need to see this gospel is real. That God loves us in ways that nothing else matters. When I saw Amelia, not only did I calm down, not only did everything I was concerned about disappear, but everything she had ever done wrong was nothing. 
It didn't matter at all what she had done. It didn't matter at all what she would do. Any fear I had of her hurting me didn't matter at all. I just wanted her to be mine. So all all the past sins you have as an individual, the sins you've had against others, the mistakes we'll make as a church matters not at all. Just as long as we're fixing our eyes on Christ. We're pursuing him with all we have and we're throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles us. So kill the sin and then everything else that could become sin, everything else that would be idolatrous, everything else that matters secondary, throw it off. Christ is our head. He unites us and together with love as our foundation, we're after each other, a gospel-centered community on mission to see others join this community, to be a part of this family because they're far off from the Father. We want them to bring, we want to bring them home to God. Our Father, we know He loves us. We know He loves them. Let's be that body. Let's celebrate that God. And so knowing these things are true, we're going to sing. We're going to take communion and we're going to give to this mission and to this God. And your heart should, should long for that right now. I know mine does. So pray with me as the band comes up and let's sing praises to this God. Father, I thank you so much for the gospel. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this family. God, I I love them and I know I only love them because of the love you've shown me. I pray that that bond would continue to grow much deeper than things we have in common, but in a way that shows the world that we love each other because of Jesus and by our love for one another that they would long to be a part of this family, not just of the Crossing Church, but of the church universal, to worship you as God, to praise you with their lives to sacrifice themselves as an act of worship and so we thank you for this time we've had to look at our core values i pray that we see they're necessary but they cannot be idols i pray that as we go forward and studying your word and seeing what you've called us to that we unite as your body praising you in every way and we worship you now in communion and in song be glorified let it be sweet to your ears And let us be reminded of the love you have for us that you would lay down your life. And in turn, we'd lay down our lives for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.